Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Beamvoice podcast. My name is Petru Conduraro and today I have the pleasure to talk with the lecturer at the Technical Vocational College in Oslo, Harald Selva. Welcome, Harald. Thank you very much, uh, Petru, for uh, for having me. Uh, it's uh, an honor to, uh, to be here and uh, I am looking forward uh, to uh, participating in uh, your uh, podcast. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, that's very good because you you have a a little bit special profile, you know. And I uh, I was looking forward uh, to this uh, chat because you are. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if if we have this kind of studies outside uh, Norway. From your experience, I, I see you worked uh, over ten years uh, with this teaching beam and uh, creating beam technicians because this is what you are doing there. Do you know, do, are there similar programs outside Norway as well? Do you know anything about this? Not exactly like uh, what we are doing. I don't think so. And I would be, if there are, please correct me. I will be very happy to learn about it. But I, uh, as far as I know, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, then uh, I'll give you uh, the word and please introduce yourself and we go from there. Yes, thank you. I'm, my name is uh, Harald Selvær. Uh, I'm uh, from Norway and I'm 47 years old. Uh, my background is as a plumber. So I uh, have worked uh, as a plumber on construction sites for a number of years. Then in 2008, I started up uh, as a student at uh, the newly started up BIM technician study at uh, Oslo Technical Vocational uh, College. And uh, 2008, in the, well, that's uh, <laughs> so 10 years ago, but in, in the BIM world, that's uh, a bit more than 10 years. It's like dog years, you might say. <laughs> so, uh, so a lot of things happen very fast when uh, we're talking about 3D and about BIM. So in 2008, you might say that uh, 3D modeling and BIM was uh, a bit uh, premature, but uh, I understood that this was so interesting and so important and had the potential to change so much that I, I wanted to be a part of it. I understand. Luckily, I was uh, given the opportunity to become a teacher at the same uh, uh, vocational college where I uh, started up as a student. So uh, I grabbed that opportunity and uh, I haven't looked back since. And that's uh, ten, 10 years ago now. So uh, as I have been working as a teacher. And uh, since then, I have also uh, finished my uh, master's degree in uh, pedagogics, where I wrote a thesis about uh, uh, digital collaboration, collaboration, and uh, and learning, how those two things uh, can be joined and can uh, benefit from each other. And uh, what I mostly focus on in my uh, lecturing and teaching is uh, collaboration, how to teach our students to collaborate uh, digitally in uh, construction projects. Uh, and also on collision control uh, and specifically on the use of the software Solibri, which is uh, 
in well, almost in Norway, uh, an important tool for uh, both collaboration and uh, assessing uh, the quality of models. Yeah, so that's who I am and uh, where, where I come from. In short term, I understand. So you are a practical man. That's nice because we need this uh, experience uh, moved in the in the theoretical field as well because it will help when you form out the new uh, workers to have this more more uh, more practical approach uh, at jobs. Uh, but um, let's go a little bit deeper into this. Who who are these technicians? What what is a beam technician? Well, uh, first of all, a BIM technician is a title that uh, we have invented uh, before uh, our school started uh, this curriculum. And there was no such things as BIM technicians. So uh, when the curriculum started, we thought, what, what, are we, what are we to educate? What are they to become? And uh, they were to focus on BIM and... Uh, a technician was something that we uh, landed on was uh, quite des describing. But who they are, they are construction workers. So our students are, and our school, I must say, is a bit different from uh, what you might say another uh, technical university uh, or another uh, technical college. We take uh, construction workers who want to educate them to, to get a more uh, technical background on, uh, on their own profession. So we have uh, plumbers, we have uh, uh, bricklayers, carpenters, electricians, and so forth. And we give them one year, two year, one plus uh, two years of technical education. So they become uh, vocational. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Norwegian title, so it's a bit difficult to translate. Uh, we call it a, a technical vocational engineer if that makes sense. Um, so what we do is we try to combine the practical knowledge uh, that uh, the construction workers have and, uh, and give them a broader perspective to uh, the whole building industry. Um, and that is um, uh, many aspects. And one of them is building information modeling. So where I work, we have uh, one year where we take uh, uh, our students focus 100% on BIM. And I think that is maybe what is uh, not so normal or maybe even unique, that uh, there, there is no, there's nothing other than BIM that we, we teach uh, for a whole year, which means that uh, that's what we focus on and they have their uh, previous skills from their uh, construction uh, or like by plumbers and electricians, they they have that background with them, and we we uh, you might say add BIM to uh, to that knowledge, and uh, what they end up with is uh, a person that is uh, both technical uh, and um, practical, both technical and practical savvy, uh, and uh, from what we can see, they are in demand and they are able to to solve uh, a, a quite a lot of BIM problems on site. Uh, as uh, you probably have experienced, BIM is, uh, is nothing like an iPhone. So uh, you, can't, uh, you can't just switch and add, and, uh, and uh, not everything works out of the box. It needs to be adjusted. It needs to be 
Well, you you need to know what to do, why you're doing it, and uh, when you when you know that, it's not even easy to 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 put the software into to good use, and then you have the process that comes on top of that. So it's it's complicated. Yeah, which means that uh, I think at as an educational uh, institution, uh, it's important for us to focus on that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but let me ask you something uh, more personal. Why do you think it's important that these uh, trades workers, the practitioners, the the workers, the hardcore workers, need this kind of skill? How do they fit uh, in in a company? Uh, are are there? Do they have problems finding a job? Well, uh, that's uh, uh, I can answer. That question on two levels. Uh, one, our students they have uh, they have the background as uh, as uh, construction workers. Uh, when they add the uh, the technical knowledge, they uh, are no longer uh, construction workers. They are getting employed in uh, architectural uh, companies, uh, engineers, contractors, uh, builders, software suppliers, and so forth. So they take the background with them and they uh, they leave their uh, their blue collar at home, you might say. The other answer to that question is uh, the construction sites, which is still there, and uh, there is uh, quite a lot of construction that needs to be done, and the information on the construction sites is also changing. Uh, I think that uh, the use of BIM for uh, when it started up and uh, to quite an extent still, is something that is done inside in the offices uh, when the projects are in the initial phase and when it's uh, starting up. And then we can maybe start to talk about uh, life cycle uh, assessment and, and so forth. But uh, mainly it's a planning tool. From what I can see, uh, BIM is being pushed out to the, the, the actual construction sites as well. So. Uh, you have uh, quite a lot of projects which no longer have uh, the traditional 2D drawings on site. There are only models, uh, which means that the information has changed. The information uh, on the the, uh, the planning side is no longer two-dimensional, it's three-dimensional, and that is also starting to become the reality on site, which means that... Uh, participants or the construction workers on site also needs to be able to to read those models or that language you might say uh, three-dimensional models is a is, is a language you might say and you need to understand it and I would say that uh, it's a, it's a matter of democracy uh, you need uh, to have the possibility to participate you need to know the language you need to to understand the meaning of uh, of what is the intention of the building and the project. And it's not a language that is uh, exclusively for those who want to plan or to build or to pay for the project. Uh, somebody has to build it and they need to know that language. And also somebody uh, is going to use the construction sites or the, 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 the actual projects. They also need to know uh what this language is uh what it can do what you can ask from it and what you can demand from it 
So it's uh, it's not a it's not a hidden secret uh, language for uh, for a few. Uh, I think that, uh, as I said, it's uh, it's uh, it's a matter of democracy that uh, it's open, and like like the IFC, it's open and it's free. So uh, yeah, I think that is also an aspect that uh, is easy to uh, to forget. Yeah, that, that's very important. You said that uh, they have experienced people applying for uh, for these studies. Uh, are there no new, uh, fresh uh, students from high school going directly to this? Is not possible. It's a requirement to have experience to apply to this school. Our uh, our requirement is uh, is uh, uh, practical uh, experience. Yeah. So. Um, for, for us, that is uh, how our school is organized and the, the framework that we need to to uh, apply to. Uh, but uh, I know that uh, universities and colleges in, in Norway are also providing uh, top-notch uh, BIM education. So we're not ex- exclusive in that uh, in that way. Okay, I understand. Uh, how much experience does somebody needs to have to be able to be eligible? They need to be a, a sort of a certified craftsman or woman. That means that they have to to finish their apprentice period, uh, and uh, and uh, that is uh, like four years in the in the trades. So you you it means that our students have all well, this two two years at school and two years at uh, at the site. So they have uh, at least four years of, of practical knowledge when they come to us. Yeah. So it's four years. So some are quite young in the beginning of the twenties, and uh, some are uh, even older than me in their fifties. So that's a big span. But we we find that uh, they have a different thing they bring to the table. The the older guys have uh, lots of experience and know how on solving uh, solving problems, finding solutions, and the young ones are a bit more tech savvy, uh, which also is uh, is needed. So we uh, we try to combine those two uh, two worlds. Yeah, but this is very good for uh, for a little bit older people because of the physicality, right? Uh, being a True. construction worker in so many years, you, you have it's very nice to have a more uh, office option option if if you want to do that. How many places uh, or how many students do you have each year? We have uh, uh, room for 60 students each year. We have three classes. Um, and we have started up a new class this year, today, actually. Uh, and uh, Good luck with that. We have uh, one uh, class for, uh, we, we call them the construction workers, which means uh, the carpenters, bricklayers, steel workers, sort of the framework for the building. Then we have an installation class, which are uh, uh, plumbers, ventilation, and uh, electricians, HVAC. Yeah. Um, and then our new class is uh, everything on the outside, the sites, which means the road and railroad and uh, tunnels. And uh, yeah. Uh, and that is uh, the reason we started up uh, that uh, class is uh, because of the demand. We have, uh, uh, for one thing, have quite a lot of our students who do not have background in uh, uh, railroads, tunnels, and so forth, are uh, ended up with working with it. So uh, even if that's not their background and it's not their trade, 
the knowledge of BIM and handling models make them interesting for, for that sector as well. Uh, and we uh, were approached by quite a lot of uh, different uh, stakeholders uh, in that part of the building industry who asked us, can't you do something similar with our sector as well? So uh, we uh, gave it uh, a hard thought and, uh, and say, uh, let's do it. Because from what we can see, that sector is uh, wanting to use three-dimensional uh, modeling. They want to use a model-based way of uh, implementing uh, information. Uh, they want to collaborate in, in ways which are very similar to uh, what we see in the building industry. Yeah. So uh, and, and they are big, and they want uh, they be, they build big, and they need people. So we'll, we'll uh, we have done that for one day now, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, you can ask me in a year, and we'll see how uh, how things are going. But uh, I think uh, I'm optimistic. Yeah, definitely. Good luck with that. But I'm sure it's, I don't have any any doubts. This is going to go uh, well. And then we also started up uh, another uh, curriculum, which are uh, quite more limited, uh, not a year, but uh, uh, and that is sort of a more of a tr- on-site training for construction workers, which are not they are uh, are not to uh, like our other students who have uh, w- want to do something else. They are supposed to be on-site on the construction site, but uh, receive training in how to use 3D models, how to use the digital platforms, uh, how to uh, uh, use different sort of, of uh, software, which are in uh, high demand on, on site. So, uh, and that is a collaboration between the unions, the, work, the, the, the construction unions, and the, the uh, employee organizations. who said, we want this on our sites, uh, we provide uh, uh, the workers, uh, which we want to uh, educate further, uh, but we want them to take that knowledge on, on, on their further uh, on their future projects. Yeah. So also new. We have started it up. It's not finished, and hopefully we'll scale it up, uh, and uh, uh, it will be available for uh, to a larger extent of uh, of, uh, of people. Yeah. That's good. This is the new uh, learn how to read drawings instead of drawings. Like yeah, yeah, you might say that. Learn the new language. Yeah, exactly. Use uh, know how to use the models and understand them to 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 construct them to build them. Right. Yeah. So they are not they are not making their own models. They are uh, they are not doing the tests, but uh, they need to know uh, what they can expect and what they can demand and how to to uh, if there are no drawings. They are still to to deliver uh, deliver the project uh, as uh, as the client wants it. I understand. Uh, that's interesting. Um, how how do they learn this? Uh, be- if they work, they are they are still working, right? How do they combine the work with studying? Well, they uh, we have organized in a way that uh, we have t- t- uh, sort of gatherings of three days where they leave their uh, construction site and they come to us. And we have uh, tried to uh, make, uh, make the most of that time and uh, make it uh, very practical. For instance, 
one of these days we're focusing on uh, safe, safety and health. Uh, and we try to see how is new technology being implemented on, on that area. And we see that uh, virtual reality is being uh, implemented, uh, starting to be implemented. So they were given the training how to orient uh, themselves on the construction sites uh, in virtual reality. Uh, and it's starting up to be, uh, they can they can do a, a sort of uh, safety and health uh, training uh, without being on top of a roof, but they can they can sort of address dangers um, in in a safe space, you might say. Yeah. So that, that's that's one example of it. Okay. And how often do they need to come these three days? Each week or each month or, or what is the interval? So we have a total of. Um, of uh, six gatherings with three days uh, in each of them, or going over a year. I understand. Here they have uh, completed the course, and we will have, of course, uh, uh, parallel groups uh, running as well. And uh, we have started up, but uh, we are also uh, scaling up. So uh, this will be available in other cities in in uh, in Norway as well, like. Uh, uh, Trondheim, uh, Stavanger, and uh, so forth. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, do they need to take an exam at the end, or it's important just to have the experience? No, they it's uh, they they deliver uh, a written uh, a written statement showing what they have done, uh, and they will uh, uh, graduate from our uh, college uh, with uh, a paper and also some some what you you get it sort of study points uh, connected to it so so it's a, it's a formal education as well yeah okay yeah that's good uh you mentioned uh earlier solibri yeah uh but before we we go we dive deeper into this uh what is your definition of bim well, my definition of bim what i would like it to be or what it's uh today both both well <laughs> Uh, the, the easy answer, building information modeling, uh, the combination of geometry, uh, information, and uh, an object-based uh, way of uh, accessing information, I would say, yeah. And what, what would you like it to be? Well, I would like it to be used to its full extent. Okay, so uh, you are not very happy. The, the difference on on what this possibility and how it's used are uh, quite different. Uh, and I also see the parallel when it comes to education. Um, I think that, I don't know if it's a main problem, but a problem is that a lot of processes, a lot of companies, a lot of uh, construction projects, they add BIM to the projects and they expect it to change everything. So they have um, their way of producing things the way of producing projects, uh, our way of planning their projects, uh, which are uh, uh, traditional and which uses uh, traditional methods like 2D drawings uh, and uses a traditional way of having a, a competition where they uh, put in the different tenders uh, and uh, one is winning and, uh, and so forth. And they think that uh, the problems linked to that 
will change once that they get a, a three-dimensional uh, model of, of that project. And that is not the case. Uh, many of the problems linked to the construction industry uh, is still there, even if we are more digital. And even if we have, uh, have uh, uh, 3D models as well. Uh, and I see the same thing when it comes to education. So I, I'm going to say that my perspective is the educational one. So I, I talk about how can my students be good at BIM? How can they be productive in a BIM process? That's what I try to deliver. So I don't build hospitals. I don't uh, build roads. But I, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that my students will be capable and competent in the new jobs. So that's, that's my product. I understand. When it comes to education, I think that many schools and uh, uh, universities, colleges and so forth, they also add technology and they add BIM to what's already there. So they have their traditional uh, way of teaching. And it's uh, even uh, older than uh, many of the methods in the, the uh, uh, construction industry. It's, uh, it's a model uh, dating back from the monasteries and, and uh, writing of uh, Bibles when there were no uh, book prints. So that was sort of, uh, that's how the classroom was built or born. You have one person reading a text and then you have 20 or so something writing that down in a book because that was one way of copying books. Yeah. And that was how they how they learned to read the rights. Uh, but but that's that's Middle Ages. But that classroom still exists and that classroom is more or less uh, how we produce new classrooms today. So you have you have a model that is in fact de facto medieval and then you add technology to it. And you think, uh, now we have changed everything. I'm being a bit ironical, but uh, you are uh, probably getting my point. I, I don't think that is the approach. New technology and new way of producing things also means that we have to organize how we produce and how we educate in a different way. And I think that when it comes to education, we need to stop broadcasting. Well, we are uh, doing a broadcast now, so we are broadcasting, uh, might say, but uh, when it comes to learning something, uh, and I have to use myself as an example, if somebody reads a text to me uh, and they uh, might be very knowledgeable and uh, what they are reading is, is uh, correct, the correct way to do it, I don't learn so much from that. I can, I can hear what they say, but a very low percentage of what they are trying to, to, to make me learn, it doesn't stick. So uh, if I'm to do, do what they are told, uh, told me afterwards, uh, I will fail. But I need to do things. I need to make it happen. I can, I can reproduce what they're saying to a, a certain level, so I can learn the skills, I can learn what to do in what order and so forth. But after that, I have to do... I have to construct my own knowledge uh, in order to make that knowledge internal and make that knowledge my own. Yeah. And that is what we try to do with BIM. So BIM is, for me, a very practical thing. It's something that you need to do. 
So um, we, we, I, I can teach my students to, to do this and that in Solibri or in ArchiCAD or in Revit, uh, and they can uh, uh, see what I do and they can copy it, but that doesn't make them uh, good at uh, Solibri or good at Revit. It went, it, it, it's a point when they make their own projects, when they collaborate with other students, uh, when they transfer data to and forth, uh, and they come up with something else. Exactly. That's what I mean with we cannot just add technology. We have to change what we are doing and change the activities of our uh, education. Yeah. Yeah. W- when we learn something, like it's just the introduction. The real learning is when you put, put it in practice, when you encounter challenges, and when you solve those challenges. And even if you don't solve those challenges, the process in documenting how do you solve that challenge will make you grow a lot. True. Like with what I'm doing right now. <laughs> this is a challenge. I'm learning. Problem solving, for instance, it's very important. And, and documenting problem solving is equally important. And when it comes to, uh, to BIM, problem solving is everything. Not so many things work out of the box, I might say. You always need to, to fix this and you need to know how to do that and you you need to plan ahead and you and in a sudden thing works. Why does it work? You need to, to be able to backtrack what you have done, what you have tested out and why you have ended up with uh, uh, what you have done. So, so, so that is also a very important skill for, uh, for somebody working in the, the BIM sector to, uh, to do. Yeah, yeah th- this... This can be applied, like, if you want to grow as a person as well, this is maybe applied generally as well. But uh, I understand uh, this more specialized in this case. But this is something I try to apply in everyday, in the everyday life. It's something like, yeah, you you need to to see uh, what can you learn from something that you don't, uh, that, that doesn't go how you expect and how can you do it better. Outside of uh, this um, vocational school, are there any other studies in Norway from what you know so far? Are there uh, are there any master programs or uh, yes. any bachelors uh, for this? Yes, we started up uh, a master program in in digital digital managing of construction projects. Um, forgive me for the translation at NTNU. Uh, 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 I, I'm not. Uh, I don't know so many details about it, so maybe you should do our own podcast on that. I also know that uh, uh, NTNU is uh, collaborating with Stanford University uh, with uh, regarding their certification of uh, VDC and uh, Integrated Current Engineering, which is very interesting. Yeah, and it's what I have uh, uh, written a, a master thesis about how we can implement. That mythology on our school as well. So, yeah. Can you say a few words about that? I can do that. Um, you have got me started now. <laughs> That's perfect. What I tried to to find out and do was how could we, as a vocational college, implement VDC, virtual design uh, and construction, and integrated concurrent engineering, which is uh, first of all we saw that quite a lot of our students uh, ended up in positions where they had to, to deal with that, those processes. So 
uh, and they uh, they needed to to be knowledgeable about it. So so we started up. Okay, how can we gain knowledge about this topic? How can we give them what they need to to be functional and function well in in search processes? So uh, I started up trying to grasp it and uh, see what uh, Stanford University uh, has done regarding uh, that topic. And I think that um, they have proven beyond doubt that uh, collaboration is something that gives a positive uh, uh, benefit to our construction projects. And that's very good. So you can say that, okay, working together, uh, finding solutions together, uh, working digitally together is something that is beneficial for a project. Um, and they have uh, sort of drawn up different tools and different methods in order to how to work efficiently in, in uh, construction uh, projects. But for, for me, it was difficult to adapt what they were doing to uh, our vocational college uh, because uh, Stanford's approach is very much... Uh, on site on the, the actual projects uh, they are doing, which is great. It gives uh, uh, effects on the projects. But uh, for us, sort of uh, sideline to that, we, we needed a, a bit different approach and we needed to, to get our students to be active on their own. And what I found about it is uh, I sort of uh, ended up uh, having to to answer not only what are they doing, what why is BDC uh, doing what it does, what are the, the contents of a, an ICE meeting, but I ended up asking, why does it work? Okay, they can show that this works, this, uh, this means that the project will be delivered faster, cheaper, and at a better quality. And that's good. But I found out they were not... Uh, well, I was not satisfied with how they answered why does it work. And that is boiling down to why does collaboration work at all? Why is it so that if we collaborate, we do things better? And uh, that was something I uh, uh, was a bit puzzled about, uh, but I have tried to to answer it. And I think that my answer is divided into two. And the first part of this is that if you collaborate, uh, and particularly in an ICE meeting, a current engineering uh, meeting, uh, you are in a, a common setting. You are quite equal. Uh, you make decisions uh, within that specific meeting and that specific room. You are sharing information. Uh, and you have also committed to a, uh, a common goal, which is to deliver on whatever that uh, project needs to deliver on. But, but that, is, that, that is what you want to deliver on. It's a bit different than delivering on a project, which is uh, I want to, to get a, a, win the competition and uh, uh, maybe make money of uh, the revisions coming on later on which is a different uh, uh, take on, on how to uh, make your money. So uh, a, a functional integrated 
concurrent engineering process uh, is a process which I think is uh, described by a high level of trust. The participants trust each other and they want the project to go well. And you might say, if you trust each other and you want the project to go well, it probably will go well. That should be the default anyway. Like everybody, yeah. like if you do something. If I don't trust you and I'm looking out for uh, number one, uh, the chances are that uh, I will be proven right. Yeah, that's just a common sense. I, I don't know why we must, we must we fight so much to get to a normal level in our industry. Why doesn't people understand that we need to cooperate and for the sake of the project? When I took a look at it, it was uh, I, uh, I see that the construction industry is riddled with uh, problems and conflicts and lawyers and lawsuits and so forth. And um, I don't think that is bringing uh, the, the industry uh, forwards. So, so that's that's one thing you need to have uh, a level of trust. And you need the participants to uh, feel that they can make decisions in that project. And I call that a high level of empowerment, for lack of a better word. You need to be empowered in the project. You have to feel that this project is a project where I can make decisions. And we can make decisions together uh, for pushing that project further on. So that's good. But that's... That's only one part of the uh, uh, the answer. And the other part of it is uh, maybe a bit more difficult, and that there is always there will always be problems and there will always be conflicts in a project, uh, and that can be between the the client and the contractor, or it can be between those who make steel trusses and those who deliver HVAC uh, ducts. Uh, it's uh, it's difficult. And uh, if you need to put up a wall uh, and there is a, a HVAC uh, duct coming through, you might call that a conflict. And you have to see how how can that conflict be solved. It's, it's finding its solution one way or another, uh, often on construction sites, uh, by who has the loudest voice or who was there physically first, or... Uh, uh, I I just do it anyway, and you can tear it down, and then I will uh, get money to put it up again, and whatever silly things that happen. So uh, there are problems, and there are uh, contradictions in a in in a project. I uh, I have uh, taken a look at that, how contradictions can also be productive, and contradictions. Uh, is a way to make things move forward. You and I can have a disagreement. Uh, uh, you say your thing, I say my thing. Uh, or hopefully when you say your thing, I, I think about what you say and I resonate to you. And uh, uh, my answer will uh, depend on what you are saying. I will respond in a way that I will try to make us move forward. Well, that is, if we are... Uh, have a common goal, which is to 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 find a solution. If I'm uh, always thinking about my side, my response will be not to you, but I will answer to. I will sort of give a backward answer. I will I will try to to safeguard uh, what I'm saying 
your standpoint yeah. uh, you can't uh, sue me or i can say something that will be profitable for me further on the road but we still need um problems because we need solutions a solution is dependent on a problem or a contradiction a contradiction and a problem is a good thing because it can lead to new solutions and believe me construction projects need new solutions so is that we 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 need to cherish the problems and the contradictions that happen in a project but we need to do that within a framework of trust and empowerment because when i trust you we can solve a problem together yeah everything what you just told me the last 10 minutes or 5 minutes i cannot stop thinking about contracts Yeah. Do you have experience with contracts, with type of contracts, better type of contracts? Yes, because this goes back to the framework. This goes back to uh, how do you make money in a project? Because you have to make money in a project because you want to to uh, be able to participate in the next projects. So uh, that's number one. But it's it's uh, important to see how can we uh, make money in a project in a sustainable way. Uh, so. Do I make money from making revisions or do I make money from uh, the project going well? So you can see in, if, if I'm in a project where I, uh, I deliver, uh, my, uh, I, I, I win, win the competition uh, at a low price and I know that uh, what the client has uh, wants is, uh, is lacking a bit. He needs more than he has said. But I'm not telling him that. He will find out later when I send my revisions, and it's uh, it's my revisions which I make my money from. That means that um, it will not be profitable for me to make a good solution uh, as the first thing I do in the project. It will not be profitable for me to make a good uh, BIM model, uh, which solve all collisions, which solve all problems firsthand, because. Then there will be no revisions, and I will have uh, won the competition at a low price, and that will be the end of me. So that's something that the client needs to address and say that, okay, I want you contractors to agree on a, a level on this project. I want this quality at this time, and uh, I want it done at this price. Can we agree on that? And uh, if you agree on that, then I get dependent upon you as a, a, another contractor to do your part. And uh, then I will be uh, use my initiative and my skills in order to make the project go well. Uh, it means that also if I know you as a, a working in other, uh, another sector, another technical area, uh, often I can know what the problems will be ahead. I know if you do this and that, that, that will cause trouble down the road. And I can uh, uh, make a decision if I, uh, I, I won't say anything about it until that problems occurs. And then I can uh, rearrange and revise and uh, uh, ask for extra money for, for, for these problems to be solved, which cost the client. Or I can say, I see there's a problem ahead. If we solve this now, 
we will all get uh, we'll all gain from it and we'll all gain from it if we agree in the first hand how to uh, what, what sort of the the uh, total framework of the project will be but this is my way of uh, of explaining integrated project delivery which Sanford has uh, written quite a lot about i think that's that's uh, hopefully a way to go forward that's the process part of bim that's not software so that is uh, collaboration between human beings and you don't need a software to do that it works better sometimes with a software but uh, we don't need to we don't need to wait for the software to be perfect to do that no 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 definitely no 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 the the, the tools are just here to empower the the, the way of working right the, but the approach the open approach should not wait for this and we, we don't need to wait for anything if we want to deliver something better like you said sustainably and at the gain of everybody, right? If like uh, through IPDs, if you are incented, you earn more if you do a better project, quicker, quicker, right? Yeah. yeah. But what do you do? Are there uh, many projects uh, going around in Norway uh, using this kind of this type of contract? It's starting up. Uh, it's starting up. It's uh, early days, I would say. Uh, but uh, uh, the sort of um, the sector. Uh, uh, concerning railroads, uh, tunnels and roads are also uh, looking into it and starting up using it. So, uh, and also uh, at least one hospital has put it to use. Uh, so it's uh, it's starting up and it's becoming a demand from uh, the clients and uh, especially the governmental clients, which I think has a, a vital role in pushing BIM forward. They need to be in the front seats and they need to say, okay, we want BIM to go forward and we want BIM to go forward in a sustainable way. And we as big governmental clients are able to do that. And they are doing that. So I would say that uh, that's a very positive uh, thing that needs to, to, to be in place in order for BIM. That's very good news because this is happening. It's, uh, it's not easy and uh, it's, it's difficult to change how we work. And it's just difficult to change uh, the actual economical framework of our projects—that's uh, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, it's going to have an impact. This is the the challenge uh, because why the other uh, involved parts in this, if they m- make money with the model they run right now, like from revision, like you 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 said, right? Why would they want to go to something better? But if the owner or the client puts out like these are conditions if you want to build my project or design my project you need to accept this then you have no choice right so it's definitely a very very big step forward i'm lo- i'm really looking forward to that to see the the big status like best and bon and starts big approach uh, using more often and uh, yeah promoting uh, this kind of contract because you see like the there are many many projects that go a lot over over the budget anticipated right so this this is also a very big problem so that's why the clients should focus i don't really know how it's going on with the private uh, projects but with public uh, state projects like we have this problem as everybody knows and this is not only in norway uh, this is, it is something generally like all over the world uh, are there any other uh, type of contracts uh, i mean like ipd might not be uh, perfect definitely 
not nothing is perfect right but we will learn from trying it at least it looks uh, better from the standpoint where we are right now right but do, did you heard uh, hear about other kind of projects as well there are uh, are some hybrid versions uh, i've been told that uh, implement uh, uh, the same sort of methodology to a certain level uh, so i think uh, maybe not textbook ipd but uh, implementing some elements of it and i think that's uh, positive we need to think new and uh, i think that uh, there are different ways of of doing a good project yeah yeah regarding the customers the the clients right do you think are there other challenges uh, from from my experience from my point of view i see that they are a little bit behind and i'm not talking about statens Iversen and baninur even if also they have some parts that are not doing very good but there are some very nice things happening uh, but there are uh, other customers. I don't know too much about municipalities. Be- because you work in this field, maybe you encounter and you definitely hear more. Is happening something there as well? Are they interested to to do more, to adopt BIM? To, are they learning? Are they trying to do something? Or they just expect for StatsBig to publish a standard or something and just replicate that? I say uh, the correct answer would be yes or no, uh, <laughs> but things are happening uh, definitely, uh, and I think that uh, BIM is not not a, it's it's not one thing, it's not one stage uh, at a time. It's it's uh, it's a multitude of of different answers and different levels, different uh, ways of implementing it, and and uh, some are more successful than others, but. Uh, uh, when you talk about clients, it's also a one-time client is one thing, but you talked about different sectors of, of uh, both uh, commercial and, and uh, governmental who builds a lot all the time. And uh, they will gain from, from using BIM uh, for sure. Um, but um, their difficulty may lie in the other end. As I said, that BIM has started up as a planning tool and uh, we are... St- starting now to get some experience on the construction sites, but we are far from... Asset management? Yeah, asset management is uh, s- still far ahead. It's, it's starting up, but uh, at, uh, it's, it's difficult. There are obstacles, uh, as it's obstacles on uh, our, our side, sort of the, if I, I reckon myself as the knowledgeable side, uh, those who are trained in BIM, or train others in BIM is difficult. So for the users, it will be even more difficult to put it very easy or simple. But they need to understand why they need to do this because it's ironically, right? Because they have the most to gain from this. Because if they require better documentation, they will get better documentation that can use be used, right? And Maybe they don't think too much about this. Like, I I know project managers, project leaders are very focused to build the project. They are, they have, they are stressed by schedules and they want to succeed doing that, right? But do you, we need to think that the building part of the project, it's at most 20% of the time of the use of that building or project, right? Or infrastructure project, no matter what it is. 
because you if if you build a a tunnel or a, something a railroad you use it 100 you plan to use it 100 years and you build it in 10 years right what's that 10 10% right so most most of the the benefits you 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 get afterwards it might get a little bit more expensive if you require better documentation but you might get gain a lot from that in the in the future right yeah so in, in theory it's uh, it's very easy and you have a model which contains all the information which is uh, what you need for for your uh, facility management but in reality uh, that's not the case i think maybe uh, a simple answer to to why is that uh, building information modeling software and process is geared into planning and building so that's that's what is been used for and that's what is been paid for uh, and uh, when the the building the construction project is done uh, those who have uh, participated in making that bim uh, they are done they are finished they are moving on to the next project so uh, the existing bim model is is constructed for making uh, uh, meeting the deliveries on the project until the client's ready to put it to use so it's not a client in most cases that had ordered the bim it's not the client who had made demands on how the bim is going to be made how it's going to be structured uh, how the information is going to be available it's uh, it's uh, something that's used uh, in the planning process on site and uh, pretty much that so that's a task ahead to to make the clients aware on what they need and how to make demands on on how the model is to be uh, available in a good way and i do not have the answer to how that is uh, achievable yeah well that that starts uh, like everything else from uh, education right you need to inform yourself right like if you see these people doing uh, the other actors the designers the constructors and other uh, actors in the supply chain using these tools why do they do that because there there are tools for asset management as well there are more advanced and not so popular as our tools like uh, Revit, like Solibri, like Navisort, like this one, of course, but there are tools. But to know that, you need to look around, right? And uh, and like from what you said, like if the designers and constructors are earning money uh, working this driving business like now, they uh, because we are another uh, factor here, right? Like we as consultants, first and foremost, we should inform their, them. We should help them try to see why. Because this, right? But yeah, it, it's a little bit, it's a very, very sketchy situation, I would say, and very challenging. It's very difficult to find uh, a very um, clear solution to this. But uh, uh, I think everything starts with informing yourself. And first and foremost, like, uh, like every organization, every client in our industry, first thing, and the at least the only thing they, they need to do, they need to start talking about a BIM strategy at an organizational level. Do they want to have approach and use BIM on their project? I don't think they have a choice. If you have these big actors doing that, you have no choice because every everybody will adjust to them and you must do it as well. Because otherwise you will just burn money, right? Because it's not effective. We do this not just for fun, right? We do this because it's more effective, right? This is the, like, what is the purpose? If it's BIM, it doesn't matter if it's BIM or uh, 
uh, or uh, if it's something else, right? If our purpose is to make more sustainable buildings quicker, save more money, and everybody being happier for this, right? and having customers more uh, more happy, and this is the way. Right now, this is the way. Might be might might transform to something else later, but right now, this is the way, right? So, uh, I I don't know how you, as an institution, uh, I don't know if you have customers from from this kind of um, clients, uh, like like because you have you have only uh, practical people, right? But do do we have in in the education system? a way to inform the asset managers and the asset owners? That's a very good question. Uh, some of our students are ending up uh, working for clients, but uh, uh, we have there are few clients who, who knock on our door, I would say. And there should be quite a lot. Uh, so so that's, uh, that's important. Uh, I'll try to to answer uh, your question with talking about something completely different. Uh, cameras. In 1913, uh, Leica, you know, the, the producer of uh, cameras, yeah. uh, they uh, introduced uh, their first M-series camera. Uh, it's, uh, if, if you're into photography, it's uh, for many the holy grail of, of cameras. Uh, and today, Leica is recognized as a, a camera producer with extremely high quality. The quality of their building is high, and their lenses are uh, superior to none. But that was not why they were successful. Up to then, uh, taking pictures was uh, something you did with a single frame. You had to have one single frame, which was your film. So you didn't have 12, 24, or 36 pictures. You have one picture, you had one exposure, and you had to take that frame and uh, put it to, uh, to uh, make a print of it. Yeah. So what they did was uh, simple and quite uh, uh, genius. They took uh, something that was available in large quantity from another industry, and that was uh, the Hollywood industry, the film industry because they produced 35 film uh, uh, millimeter film in large quantities uh, for, for the movie industry. So they took this uh, 35 millimeter film and they divided it up to frames and uh, spun it around, put it into the camera and say, now you don't have one frame, you have 36 frames on a picture. Uh, and so photography as we know it was born. So everybody could have a camera in their pocket. They could take 12, 24, 36 pictures. It was something that was cheap. It was available. Uh, and uh, you could, uh, it, it, it would fit in your pockets. Not something on three legs with one frame, very expensive, uh, and so forth. So what we need is uh, Leica or some, somebody else to come up with a solution for 2020 on how to to use that information that is already there and find a way to access information in a way that's something that everybody can put in their own pockets, uh, on-site, everywhere, cheap and functional. And the, the quality and uh, the lenses came afterwards. That was not why they were successful. They, they put to use a technology that was already there 
into to the mass markets. So I, I think that's maybe what uh, the facility management needs. Yeah. We talk about something completely different than thing, but still technology. Yeah. I will uh, go back to the softwares. You said you you are uh, teaching Solibri. What what other softwares are you teaching the students? Quite a lot. Uh, first off, they need to uh, make some models, uh, and we use uh, ArchiCAD. We use uh, Revit. Uh, we use Tecla. We use uh, add-ons and plugins to Revit like MagicAD, Naviate, and so forth. So we can make technical modules, we can make structural models, we can make architectural models. Uh, and then we need to process uh, the models in, uh, check the models in Solibri, in uh, Navis work. Uh, we might need to do some calculation on the models, so different uh, calculation programs. What do you mean by calculations? Uh, cost, cost, cost calculation, like there are some Norwegian software uh, we are uh, applying, like uh, SmartCalc, EasyCalc, and so forth. Uh, and then maybe you need to do something extra with your uh, your models, you know, IFCs or Simple BIM is an uh, important tool. Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, scripting and uh, Dynamo Grasshopper is something that is uh, in the wind and uh, very important. So a lot of software, plenty of software, I would say. So um, if I were to say one thing about how, how uh, our uh, curriculum has developed, we started out as being very software orientated because that was what we knew. And we saw that, okay, we need to do this first. Luckily, we have seen that uh, BIM is uh, so much more than software, is uh, also an equal amount of process. So... You, you, need, you need software and you need uh, to know how to use it and when to use it and to what extent you need to use it. So we try to, to equal up those two elements, I would say. But um, uh, we also try to take, take some pride in using uh, the newest updates, the newest software. Yeah. I see. Are you also, uh, do you have anything to do with Dalux? With Dalux or uh, something, um, what's called B, uh, Beam Collab and uh, Beam Sync, do you use these softwares as well? Yes, yes, and yes. We use Beam Sync, uh, Dalux, and uh, and Beam Collab. Uh, why? Why? What do you do with them? Well, it's a good way of collaborating. Um, Beam Collab, for instance, uh, works well with Solibri, so. Uh, our students, uh, if they have a project and make their uh, BCF reports, it's a good way to, to, to learn how to work on a BCF server. BeamSync is uh, an excellent uh, collaboration uh, tool uh, and software for uh, exchanging information, also BCF, but uh, on its own as well. Uh, and Dalux is uh, probably the software who is, uh, uh, for the moment, best in facility management. And uh, starting to 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 develop some some very good tools regarding that area. What can you do with Dalux? What is this software doing exactly? Well, there are two softwares, as I have understood. It's one for facility management, and it's one on site. So uh, for us, it's about 
giving the students the possibility to use the software in their projects. So they make their own models. They have their own interdisciplinary projects. So they need to, uh, to exchange information uh, back and forth. And uh, using Daleks and training themselves and using Daleks for that is uh, excellent because when, when they get a job and they are out on site, they will meet that software and they, they need to, to adapt to that. I understand. Uh, do you see? Do you use any other tools like uh, VR uh, or uh, artificial uh, or augmented reality? Yeah, uh, mostly we use VR, uh, not so much uh, AR yet. But uh, VR is something that we have uh, been focusing for a couple of years now, uh, and uh, particularly we try to focus on VR in a collaborative sense, so that you can. Use VR not only to, to have a look at a model, but how you can collaborate in a model. That was uh, very useful in the, the uh, corona uh, pandemic, which uh, we, uh, we are currently under, so, so that we, we could uh, do, do some work still from, uh, from distance. Uh, we could still have collaborative processes through VR. So, yeah, we are, uh, we are using that. And it's, uh, it's fun. And it's... Uh, it's uh, Easy to learn, easy to use, easy to to meet meet other people uh, in in virtual reality and have a uh, actual discussion about models, uh, even if you are not physically co-located. I understand, but uh, isn't this uh, is this uh, accessible to everybody? Or uh, what do you need? What do you need Oculus Rift or what do you need? It's uh, still early days, I would say. So you need uh, you. You need a gaming PC, and you need uh, software to do to um, in order to uh, run the different uh, processes, of course. Uh, and then you need access to a project. So it's uh, well for each user. You need uh, you need uh, for the moment your own dedicated PC. So and then you need the VR glasses as well. And then you need software. So. Uh, it's uh, a bit expensive, you might say, but uh, I, I know that quite a lot of projects are starting up using VR uh, and are finding it uh, very useful in finding issues they can't find with Solibri, for instance, because Solibri is all about rules. You know, I have a rule for this. I want to check uh, if the distance is so-so and this, this, and uh, uh, within those limits. Uh, but... At the end of the day, it's human beings who are in, in the model and are going to use the building. And when we come into a room, we see other things and we experience other things. And some of those things are experienceable through VR. Yeah. So I know it's, uh, uh, a couple of road projects, tunnel projects, railway projects are using VR to find issues on the, on the projects and uh, from what I'm hearing, it works. Yeah, yeah, it might be a little bit prohibitive for personal use, maybe, but uh, definitely companies can have can try to uh, uh, buy this kind of stuff for a few users at least, right? The bigger ones at least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who are the main employers for for the students from your school? Are most of them working uh, in contractors like do you have a percentage yeah it's uh varies a bit but i would say the contractors are uh 
the main area where our students ends up. Uh, then the engineers take uh, their, their share, uh, and then uh, some go to to clients and software providers, and some ends up being teachers. <laughs> <laughs> like you, a small percentage goes to the architects. Yeah, I understand, but a li- uh, too little to the customers, to clients. Yeah, but the contractors are those who are uh, take, taking the largest quantity of students, I would say, yeah. How many teachers are you are there? At the moment, we're seven teachers who are dedicated to teaching BIM here at our school. Each of you teach the same things or do you have each topics you teach? Well, we, are, we are getting more and more specialized Uh So there are some who are excellent at Revit and ArchiCAD, and uh, some who focus more on Solibri, for instance. And I am focusing mainly on Solibri, yeah. I understand. I asked you already if there are other countries. It's a little bit weird and interesting that we don't find similar programs in Sweden, Denmark, or Finland. Yeah. They, uh, you might say that, but uh, you might think that uh, the AEC industry is a conservative uh, business. Try talking to to educational institutions; they are um, they are also quite conservative. So uh, maybe uh, one part of the answer is there. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, why should, for example, some interested uh, parties? should start such a program in in their country. Would you recommend it? Yes. Uh, I think you have to ask yourselves why, what is the task of an uh, educational institution? Is it to reproduce itself or is it to meet a demand or to meet uh, uh, the needs of uh, the, the people which is there to provide some education for? And I think that uh, in our case, it's, There, there is a demand for knowledge in the BIM industry, and uh, I think we have an obligations to meet that demand. So, and uh, a part of that, it's fun as well. So, win-win. Okay. Uh, one last qu- last question. What do you know, and what is your opinion about open source software? Uh, open source in in AAC, not generally. Uh, open source in our industry, in the building industry. Oh, uh, like open standards, you think? No, no, no. I'm uh, open source software. Like, for example, I had an episode I talk about uh, B- uh, Blender Beam, or uh, there are other softwares like FreeCAD, for example, which is a kind of uh, alternative to Revit. Like, uh, but it's free, uh, open source, like free software. Well, to to be honest with you, I haven't uh, tried that out to an extent which I can give you a good answer to it. So probably will not give a good answer to it. Sorry about that, but I'm uh, I'm positive to opening up the possibilities, and uh, uh, I think that uh, a lot of the software industry needs to be challenged. And I uh, we try as an institution to not uh, be too dependent on one software uh, developer. We try to broaden out who we deal with and what sort of software we we teach. Uh, so anything that will will contribute to to a bigger diversity, I'm uh, all for. Yeah. Awesome. 
thank you very much, Harold, for taking the time to come here and talk with me. Thank you.